What is up, guys? We are live. Zach in here. Welcome to the Bags of Richmond podcast. I'm your host. In today's video, this is a really exciting one. I have Tony Romero from Wisconsin who recently has made over $500,000 his first year in wholesaling real estate. This is an exciting one. I cannot wait to break down Tony's business and he's going to share exactly how he did it and most importantly, how you can do the same exact thing in your wholesaling business. Tony, thank you so much for coming on today. Absolutely, man. Pleasure to be here. All right, man. So let's get it from the start. Who is Tony Romero and how did you get started in wholesaling real estate? So um, Tony Romero is a young entrepreneur. Um, I started this when I was 21 years old and just recently turned 22. Um, so when I was 21 years old, um, I decided that I wanted to do something with my life other than school. School wasn't really what I wanted to do. Um, so it actually kind of started a little bit weird. When I was actually 20, I went to a seminar. Um, it was a Kevin O'Leary seminar. Uh, they used his face to brand everything. I didn't actually even get to see him at the event because he was going to be on like six hours later. I uh, went to the event. These guys were talking really, really good sales. Um, they brought up wholesaling. Um, they also brought up stocks, but I wasn't really interested in that side of things. Um, and they brought up the fact that you can just make a lot of money uh, from from no money in real estate. And that's that really intrigued me. So um, they upsold the course right then and there. You could only sign up then and there for $1,000. Walked straight up to the stage, paid for it, uh, and then went to the three-day seminar. At the three-day seminar, they actually upsold a $30,000 seminar. But um, unfortunately, at the time, it just wasn't going to work out for me. Um, and then later on, did I turn out it was kind of a scam. So thank goodness I didn't invest there. Um, then a few months passed by, stayed with my regular jobs, cooking, working in warehouses, um, you know, making, you know, ordinary nine to five or third shift uh, jobs. Uh, and then in January of last year, I actually had a friend um, offer to, um, to employ me in his uh, wholesale company. And he did. Um, he actually brought me into his company. He said, all right, well, you can start next week. I actually had just gotten fired from my last job for being late more than three times in months, but they were really strict. And uh, it was a third shift job, so my sleeping schedule wasn't great. But um, I was about four days you know, that I had just gotten fired, so I decided, well, I'll try it out. It was commission-based only. And when I got there, they sat me in a room. They put me in front of what uh, some of you guys might know as Mojo dialer. And they said, here, start calling, ask everybody that you talk to if they want to sell and push these buttons. That was it. No script, no idea of what I was doing, no idea of, um, you know, exactly, you know, how it, the process works, just literally talking to people. Um, and then they left for the day. So I was just stuck in a room by myself. It probably started the worst way I, you know, I could, but also the best way because I was able to adapt really quickly, learn to adapt really quickly. And I was able to figure out the process by just starting. Um, so they put me in a good position um, by doing that. Um, so I started calling. I started seeing how people were reacting. And then I slowly um, just decided to write up a script on my notebook. So I had taken my notebook and a pen. Um, and I was writing a script. And I I try to run the script. And, you know, sometimes they throw me off guard. Um, the first conversation I had was horrible. Um, the guy really, probably the worst call I've ever done was my very first call. Because wow. that really got me. Um, and he, you know, he, he had me on the phone yelling at me for like five minutes. I didn't know how to hang up on him. So, um, you know, it was, it was a, a very, um, 
different start than usual. But um, over the days, I started asking them a few questions. You know, they'd give me here and there answers. Um, they still kind of were structuring their company. I was their first hire, two different partners, so they didn't know what was, you know, 100%, you know, what they wanted. And then I just slowly adapt and build. Then Corona hit, as we all know, and there, um, I didn't go out for a few months. So I decided to just study on wholesale. I made two checks with them, very small check. Um, they made a lot of money on it, but obviously, you know, as an employee for them, I wasn't making so much. Uh, and then I decided to study um, wholesaling for three months, watched videos on it, um, started networking. I didn't call any sellers for three months, but you know, while Corona started, it was just indoors. And then I started my company. I um, got, you know, um, hired a mentor and he decided to tell me exactly what to do to start. And so I did, I went and drove for dollars and then I started my company in June of last year. And four days in, I got my first deal, pre-foreclosure, wow. five grand on it. And then I just never looked back from there. We just kept killing it and crushing it in this game. Wow, wow, woo. Let's break this down. That, that's that's amazing. So your first deal was a drawing for dollars deal. Correct. Wow. Okay. And this was all in Milwaukee. Like what uh, area? Yep. So um, my entire first six months were all Milwaukee deals. After six months, we slowly started to expand in some other states. But yeah, solely Milwaukee. So we were only hitting my market. Wow. Wow. And you did five hundred thousand in a year, right? Yeah. So um, we did just just uh, right around that number. And it was incredible to see. It took a lot of hard work. There's a lot of things that went wrong during that process. Um, and there's a lot of things that we had to fix uh, because we were go we were moving so fast. And, you know, I'm not somebody that's, I, I wasn't somebody that was educated in business and how business works and structure. Um, so we were kind of just running, running, running. And throughout that process, I'll share a lot of, you know, some of the mistakes I made and some of the things during this podcast. But Throughout that process, we were running so fast and saying, well, you know, later we'll just kind of come back and fix our problems. We'll pay somebody to help us out. Um, but let's focus on just making money, making money, making money, which, you know, turned out to be a, a really good thing um, because we had the capital to then bring in the right people um, to help us restructure. Definitely. I, I mean, so that first drawing for dollars, dollars deal you did, how, how much was that check? So that was a $24,990 check. Wow. Never um, when I had it in my hand and I just, you know, and I noticed that, Hey, this is going to be for you, Tony, it's going to go in your bank account. Um, and you know, nobody can touch it. It was a great feeling. And I just never looked back from there. Wow. Okay. So how did you get that first deal? So was this something you did virtually? Did you meet them at the house? What was the situation with it? Just that first deal? Yeah. So, um, as I will throughout anything I talk about, I'll also go through, um, kind of the lesson, um, because I think those are really important. I think a lot of people starting out, maybe they don't know, um, you know, there's some of these things that they're going through. So I'll, I'll just kind of break it down. So um, it was a drawing for dollars lead, called them. It was a pre-foreclosure, um, went to their house. Lesson here was, um, I don't know if I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard, never, never, um, whoever says the first number loses when you're making an offer. And I mean, that can typically be true. I was ready offer $45,000 for this house. This man wanted $25,000 for this house. I would have lost 20K right there if I would have offered first on this deal. Um, walked through the property, it was a beautiful property. Um, this is the property I re 
regret, but I also love the most because the amount of strategy that could have happened here, the amount of things that could have been done from this deal was crazy. So this deal was really, um, probably worth about 110,000. It's actually appreciated to about 125 right now. It was in great condition. I'm talking great condition, not com like fully remodeled, but it was very well taken care of. It was already, everything was already out of the home. So maybe $5,000, $7,000 in worth max. And you can, the, um, the buyer who bought it from us, now that I've reached back out, he rents it for $1,200 a month. So the cash flow is great on it. Um, and he wasn't pre foreclosure. He only was, he only was, um, he only was about seven thousand dollars in back payments. But his mortgage with everything owed was twenty uh, twenty five thousand dollars. So you know the strategy that could have been taken here, you know, we could have done a seller finance. We could have done a um, a subject two and used to pay that off, and then had great cash flow for a very long time. We could have bought it and burned it, um, BRR, and just refinance out of that deal. And I also, another lesson that I learned on this deal was that I sold it way too low. I didn't know how to run my numbers and I sold it at about 50% equity. Um, so, you know, there was a lot more room, but I sold it to, I had three investors that I called. I, you know, I had a very small buyers list. Um, three of them showed up and three of them offered the highest offer right then and there. I didn't try to show it more times, even though we had a lockbox on it. And I think I should have. Wow. Wow. I mean, yeah, you gave up some equity, but again, you got that first deal, which kind of catapulted you to where you're at now. So what did you do with that money, that 24 grand? Um, so at the time, um, thankfully, um, I had I had some extra money left over. I had gotten into a car accident with my Mustang and got paid out mm -hmm. from it. Um, somebody took a red light and you know hit me on the side and so insurance covered. So I had some extra money left over. I had no bills at the time. Um, I've had no bills up until last month. You know, I've lived at home. I just finally got my own place. Um, Congrats. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, and so with that money, I threw it all back into the business, every single penny. For the first six months, I didn't touch a single penny of my business. It all went straight back in every single dollar. Wow. Okay. And what were you reinvesting in? I reinvested in people. So I hired two people. Um, okay in systems I wanted to I knew that I wanted to grow very quickly $25,000 to me was a lot of money I previously I the most I had in a year was 35 so I have just made that in about three hours of work um, and so I wanted to build very very quickly I knew I knew that in the back of my head right away and so I wanted I used a lot of that money to test a lot of different systems to see what is going to help me scale faster. Um, so that's what, you know, I bought a $2,000 Podio system. Um, I tested every system, you know, every cold calling system that there was. So some of that money was used, I guess, you know, in not the best way because I was trying everything out. But because of that, now I am so educated. And now that I actually mentor um, a lot of young individuals, I am able to just give them the exact answer they want whenever they ask me anything. Cause I've already been through it. I've already tested everything out, but that's what we use that money for just reinvesting it. Also an office, you know, we had an office after that point right away, right from day one. Um, as soon as we had that check, uh, I bought a company truck in case we had to move things out for a seller, which wasn't, isn't something that you guys should buy for a wholesale business. <laughs> um, oh my gosh.
but uh, we just wanted to be fully prepared. We wanted that in case any situation happened, um, we were ready. Uh, one thing that I actually bought that was important to me uh, was I went out and I bought six lock boxes. And I said, I want to make sure that we use up all these lock boxes and I have to go buy more because we have that many properties on a contract. I'm telling you, I, I eat through lock boxes. So uh, that's important there. So there's lots to go over right here. This is actually a pretty amazing. So your first money that you spent was in reinvesting in people. Uh, how did you learn that you had to delegate so quickly? Because most people, they refuse to hire anyone until they're like third or fourth year. Yeah. Um, I knew that I needed the help, but I also didn't need the money. So because I personally financially did not need the money, I knew that the time was now. I... I, I don't know. I mean, I wanted to grow so fast. Um, I, and that was the only way I was going to be able to grow is giving up a piece of it, but being able to get a bigger return. And I understood that very, very quickly that I needed to just invest and then we'll be able to do more deals. Um, I mean, that was, that was pretty much the basis of it. I also had so much cash. I really didn't want to just sit on it. And I didn't, I was, I was very scared to invest in real estate myself. Because I had no idea, you know, how much a job is going to cost, you know, if contractors are going to screw me over, how much labor costs, um, you know, dealing with the city on maybe a lien or something like that. I didn't want to get to that point quite yet. So I knew I didn't want to invest in real estate and I wasn't good at stocks and I had done e-commerce before and it didn't work out. So I decided, you know, let's just put it into these people and then let's build a company right away. Also, one thing that helped is the office I got was eight rooms. So it felt really empty being in one room. Um, and so I decided, you know, let's fill this thing up. Wow. Okay. And so the first person was, uh, what employee is that? The cold caller. I hired a cold, cold caller. acquisition second. Okay. Was this a VA or in-person? Both were in-house, in-person. Wow. Wow. So Amer an American cold caller. Correct. Wow. And... Uh, can you tell me a little bit about what their job and their duties is? Yeah, so they were there full time. Um, they were working based on commission at first. Um, it was a good friend of mine. Um, he didn't need the money either necessarily. He just kind of wanted to really, really get into wholesaling. He had already heard about it, been educated in it. And so um, he pretty much started my company, started cold calling every single day. His only responsibility was the cold call, except for he also had to drive for dollars. So he'd drive for dollars for about an hour, two hours a day, and then he'd come back and then he'd cold call all day. Wow. Okay. And so he was driving for dollars cold calling. And so how many hours was he actually cold calling? Uh, I want to say about six, four, five to six. It just really kind wow. of depended, um, but usually about five to six. And then most of our leads that we were getting, we were actually writing them down on sticky notes. Um, we still did, weren't really sure about, you know, what systems to use, but uh, we had piles and piles of sticky notes because he was just kind of running through them um, as many calls as he possibly could. Wow. And what were the results when you hired that person? That were, the results were good. I mean, I want to say um, he was probably the best cool call I've ever had. <laughs> wow. I mean, why, why is that? I feel like we were able to just having him in a house that can just having him there. Well, first of all, his grind, his grind was there from, from day one. This was a guy who was very, very, very motivated, very responsible, um, could learn and adapt that. 
So it was just a matter of giving him direct orders on what needs to change and they'll, and it'll change immediately. It's not something that somebody that you have to repeat things to multiple times. He was a very good cold caller and every single day we'd be able, we were going over what was going wrong. So, you know, we would listen to recordings, but recordings were a really important thing for us because that's, I mean, that's factual. That's what, you know, how the conversation really went. And when you're able to hear it afterwards, especially if it's more than one person listening to it, like him and I, we're able to then just bounce ideas off of each other and see how we can adapt right away and make those changes so that we don't have to wait. Um, you know, some of my VAs, we don't check up on them or we weren't checking up on them once we hired them um, until, you know, a week, a week and a half later. And so those mistakes that were happening were already turning into habits for them. Mm. That's, that's huge. I mean, once the habits formed, it's, it's very bad. Uh, so in your business now, are you hiring your cold callers now? Are they going to be VAs or are they still in person? So all my cold callers right now are virtual assistants. Okay. Um, because, you know, I one the, the actual cost of it is insane compared to a, you know, a percentage that I can pay. Um, and it's just easier for, for them be, to have them because they're already trained and because I don't have to put so much work into them. I can have another VA manage them. Wow. Wow. And so are these uh, Filipino cold callers? Yeah. So right now they're all Filipino, but we will not hire any more Filipino. We're moving mm -hmm. over to Mexico and that's because a buddy of mine, Jacob Blank, um, hires in Mexico and he's had some obviously significant results running a million dollar company. Um, so we want to transition over there. Um, and if you don't mind, I'll just share one other thing. Yeah. Um, Armando Olivares, great friend of mine, uh, Washington, D.C. Wholesaler started a, a little bit before me. Um, he's doing 1.5 million plus a year. And one thing about him and his team is they're Latino, like I am, but they have a deeper accent than me. Um, so their accent really pops out. And if their accent is there and present and they're still able to do 1.5 million, then my VAs, if I can train them, it's not going to throw a prospect off. But I've heard some of the recordings that I've had with my with my Filipino, um, and some of them are just thrown off by that accent or by how they're talking. And yeah. I mean, to be honest, truth, you know. And so, it's not necessarily their fault. It's just the fact that a lot of the spam calls we get nowadays from these different services or an insurance company calling you, or you won this trip on a hotel, are usually Filip or ninety nine percent of the time are Filipino. So. Yeah. And most of the you know wholesalers are hiring Filipino um, VAs, so they're used to getting calls all day. Um, so I, I, a lot of them are reacting in a sense of, even though my people are in a sense of, this might be a scam when they're getting called. Yeah. Okay. And <laughs> so what are your results right now with the VAs cold calling? Um, that's one thing we're still working on. So in terms of KPIs, we're not the greatest at um, we're still trying. We're, right now, we're kind of take, taking a step back and saying we're finally fixing all those issues that were happening um, in the beginning where we were going so fast. So we're trying to figure out. That's our, our, I guess, our goal within the next two weeks is trying to figure out how to really track our KPIs. All we have is Mojo and call tools. What they tell us, their reports they tell us. But in terms of like how many calls per deal, I couldn't tell you. Um, I want to say each VA gets, gets us about two to three deals a month right now. That's impressive. What's your average, uh, amount you're getting per deal? Uh, right now our city is kind of low. So five to 10,000, 
Sometimes we'll do 15, 20, but on average, we're seeing that five to 10 is a very, very uh, common number. More so on the 10 side, but we get some that we pick up really quick for 5K. And a lot of our JVs that we're picking up are about 5K. Wow. Okay. So five to 10K. What's the average like price point uh, in Milwaukee of the deals you're doing? So the ones we're doing, we're sticking from in terms of um, actually getting them on a contract and selling them between 30 and 80K. Um, but the majority of the market, ARV, is selling for about 130 100 to 170 ARV, like all fixed stuff, MLS. So, which, I mean, that's kind of, it's kind of um, consistent throughout the entire city. And but, yeah. you know, that might go up since the Bucks won last night. <laughs> yeah, that, it'd be interesting one. I mean, Giannis, what, dropped 50, went crazy. But well, we'll talk about the NBA later. But um, that's pretty impressive. I mean, you might think five to 10,000, be like, oh, that, that's not the greatest. But I mean, for deals that are that low ARV wise, that, that's absolutely amazing. Like you're, you're squeezing the most out of these wholesale deals, which is very impressive because like I'm doing deals with 300,000 ARVs. And of course my profits larger, but there's less of them. Uh, so it's interesting, interesting to see around the country, uh, what it's looking like. So you said your first hire was a cold caller and what was your second hire? After you, you got your money. Acquisitions. Okay. And what was the process of hiring your first acquisitions person? The process on the, in the beginning wasn't the greatest. Um, in the beginning, most of what was happening wasn't the greatest. The, the ways I was doing it because it was just kind of figuring out as I went. Um, and so the first acquisitions that I hired, um, he was a wholesaler already. So he had already done his, his own deals um, and he was also a realtor. Um, and he also managed other businesses that he owned. So it was just um, somebody that already knew what they were doing. And they were just kind of working part-time for me to help me, I guess, give me the second opinion of, yes, this ARV makes sense. Yes, we're on the right track. Like, yes, or maybe just closing the deal, quickly closing the deal. So it wasn't like a full-on acquisitions that was there full-time, pounding the phones all day. It was more so somebody that was coming in part-time to almost underwrite the deal and make sure that it actually makes sense. Okay. And is this acquisitions person still with you? No. Um, over the long term, that wasn't going to work out. Um, hmm. It was a great, you know, a great employee to my company. Um, but we talked about this a lot, I guess, within, you know, whoever I'm masterminding with is, you know, there's different kinds of employees. There's an employee that's just made, like, for, for example, me. I'm not made to be an employee. It's just not my thing. You know, I, I, I feel like I'm made to be a CEO. And there's people that want to be employees or, you know, they're okay with it or, you know, that's, you know, that's the only thing they know. And so he was definitely CEO mindset. So he was a great leader, but it would have been really hard to keep him for a very long time because I think he would, he can, you know, he, he already had proven that, he, you know, create companies. So I'm sure, you know, building a wholesale company for him wasn't going to be hard. Um, and it wasn't, you know, he went on, made on, made his own wholesale company. But I mean, sometimes you just have to, that, that's kind of where they belong, like making their own thing because, you know, that's the type of person they are. Like they're that good. Definitely. I mean, I've, I've looked it up. I mean, I, I've read Rocket Fuel. That's one of the best books I've ever read when it came to like running a, a corporation and you just got to know between the visionaries and the integrators, which one you got, but uh, that helped me a lot. So quick tip for everyone here, but uh, Tony, you're 22 years old. You started wholesaling at 21. 
as a fellow young person, I know there are so many 16, 17 year olds watching this and they're watching you and they're like, how do I get a, how do I get like you? How do I have my wholesale business look like you? Um, they're having a lot of doubting thoughts in their minds. I mean, I got to say this again, but how can you at age 21 get real estate wholesaling deals? What is your secret as a young person? First step I'm going to say is understand wholesaling. That's just the very, very basicness. Understand what the process is. And if you don't understand it, figure it out. Figure out, go watch a million YouTube videos and figure out A to Z. What does it look like? Outline it so that you can understand, you know, how it, you know, how it actually makes sense, how it flows. Because once you get to those pieces where you get stuck, you have to do more research. And I'd rather you just understand it from the beginning. And two, I'd find somebody, whether it be a paid mentor or free mentor, somebody that you're willing to do work for. People say it all the time. Go to work for somebody for free. Go offer them a service if they already know. You know, say, how can I serve you so that you can help me? I think that's important. I think mentors are important. Um, I think, you know, they can bring you up. They can help you. They can inspire you. They can motivate you. Um, I have several mentors in my life now. And I'll explain why I think this is important. There was a um, young individual. Um, his name is Josh. He actually started renting one of the rooms in my office. Um, he necessarily couldn't afford it, but he wasn't necessarily in a position where he needed an office. Um, and so it was just him um, and him and a, a, a buddy. They were going to try wholesaling, and they decided that they wanted to be around the atmosphere that I had already created in my office. And you know, they came in very humble and said, can we please rent here? And I said, you know, to be honest, it didn't suit me to have more wholesalers renting in my own building because we're talking about deals. We're talking about addresses. You know, we're planning meetings all day. You know, we're flying here and there. Like sometimes somebody will leave and they won't lock a door. Somebody will leave and, you know, lockbox might get, you know, you know, around. Not that anything would happen, but it's just wasn't necessarily the environment I wanted uh, to have, you know, anybody else around. I wanted it to be just us, you know, just my team, or if somebody was going to be there, somebody from some sort of other industry that was just kind of there to use it as an office for themselves. Um, but I gave them a chance. They started asking me questions and questions and questions. And, you know, I got to the point where sometimes I have to say, you know, hey, it's going to, it might cost you a little bit just because now, you know, this takes up a lot of time. Um, and so on top, they were paying rent. These guys did not have a big budget. They were driving for dollars and writing down the addresses on paper or on their phones, not even prop stream or deal machine, nothing, you know, 18 and 19 years old. They were driving around. They'd come back. They'd say, Hey, how can I skip trace this for free? I said, well, you're not necessarily going to either. You're not going to be fast at it when, in terms of calling and you're not going to have the best data, but you know, use fast people to search. And so they did, they'd sit in there. They asked me if they could rent a desk. I said, yeah, here's the one. Um, you're going to pay 10 bucks a month. You know, I wasn't trying, you know, renting it for anything crazy, but um, they were in there. They had nothing in their office besides a desk and a chair. And they were cold calling and cold calling and cold calling. First two deals came. They were $2,000 total, you know, that they were getting as their assignment. They said, Tony, can we JV? I said, yeah, let's do it. Got them paid on both. Then it came a third one. They actually made like 17K on it. Then they split, which I understand because it comes to the point where maybe they're not the right partners for each other, et cetera. And Josh went on to just do an $80,000 deal at wow. 
years old. $80,000 on one deal assignment. How like, old is he? He's 19 years old right now. Wow. Whoa. So That's big. It's, it's crazy. Just by asking the right questions. But it wasn't – they asked the questions the way I like to be asked questions. A lot of people message me on a regular basis, um, and I'm sure you get you know messages too, Zach. And a lot of people watching this get messages about how are you doing what you're doing? How can I start? And sometimes I'll reply back and I'll say, hey, you know, what have you done so far? That's usually always what I do. How much are you doing and what do you know? A lot of the times people message me and they say, I know nothing. That is the worst answer to that question because <laughs> you haven't done your own due diligence to at least know something. And then you come by to somebody that's really, really busy. It just, it, it just, it's just really hard to try to help that person because they're not willing to put in the work on the back end. So Josh, he was coming in, he was doing the work. And then when he was stuck, because it was just something that he just couldn't understand, he would try to Google it first. He'd try to ask somebody else first. Once he couldn't get the answer, then he'd come to me because he knew how busy we were. He'd see us running around and then he'd say, hey, look, this is where I'm stuck. And I, of course, if he's doing his work and he's, you know, you know, putting in the work behind, then of course I'm going to help him. And so he was just being a great leader for himself and a great CEO at that point, trying to grow his business. And now, you know, he's, he's going on to do bigger things. Wow. That's impressive. Woo. I mean, my follow-up question to this is for other 16, 17-year-olds watching this, obviously you got your first deal at uh, 21? Correct. 21. I mean, did you have an issue with you know your confidence or did a seller ever dismiss you because of your age? Yes and no. So I was always, I always had that gut feeling every single time I went to a property of, man, we look so young. And not only that, for the first six months, I was the oldest in my company, well, except for my first acquisitions. And everybody that I was hiring, my dispo, my acquisitions, my cold callers, they were all younger than me. They were all 18, 19, 20-year-olds because it was all buddies of mine because, you know, I didn't know how to structure a pay, so i just pay everybody commission. But I was too scared to bring in a professional, somebody who's already been in the sales industry, somebody who maybe already sold tons of cars and has that knowledge and bring in rookies, you know, and that's, you know, that's just the reality of it. And so I train them as much as I can. Um, but you know, they were all younger than me. And just because I was, I didn't want to bring in somebody and give them a salary because I wasn't, I didn't know what the right salaries were and if I was paying too much or too little. So, um, whenever we'd go to the properties, it, not only would I look young, my, you know, whoever I was going with on my team would look young. Yeah. Um, and so that was always a worry, but I slowly um, started to adapt to that. Uh, I remember I heard Tom Crowell on Clubhouse one day, um, owner of Wholesaling Inc. He said, um, somebody asked that question to him and he said, hey, look, say to the seller, if you, yes, I'm young, is that going to affect me buying your house today? And that just stuck with me. And that was a big confidential boost for me. But not only that, my stepfather owns a very, very big law firm in the state of Wisconsin. And so that gave me a lot of confidence because, or I guess credibility, because his billboards are everywhere, his bus billboards are everywhere, he's on TV, people know who he is. You say his slogan, it <laughs> fell. So anytime somebody would ask, quickly, I divert to that. Hey, yeah, I actually use my stepfather's money to invest. You know, he's obviously this big lawyer, and I'm just here to, you know, run these numbers, make sure that this makes sense. I practically manage the portfolio for him. 
So just using that helped. And to be honest, I never got questioned after that. Every time we dropped that, it just, you know, and did they ever find out whether he actually was my stepfather or not? No, they didn't. So, I mean, anybody could use that line. Wow. Was he really your stepfather? Yeah, he actually is. Oh, that's perfect then. <laughs> awesome. So uh, let's fast forward now to your business now because we, we're, we're kind of learning how you kind of got the wheels turning on there. We're, we're learning how you got up to 500000 But right now in your business, uh, obviously you're doing more than five hundred in a year. Um, you're growing like crazy. So uh, what are your numbers looking like right now on a per month basis? Right now? Um, since we've slowed down a little bit, we're probably somewhere around like 50 to 60 and we're trying to get to that six figure mark, but we're not also, we're also not. So once we got past the first year, it was so crazy that we had hit that number that we were just like, all right, now we have to slow down, take a step back and we have to understand, well, at least I thought we have to understand what needs to get done before we can keep moving forward. Because if we keep moving forward at the same pace, there's going to be a lot of things that fall apart. I've, I actually got to the point in my company where I was, I had 11 people in my office at one point on my team. That's a lot of people, you know? So because I was just hiring, I was trying to grow, I was trying to grow, I was trying to grow, I was trying to grow. And we were doing big numbers, you know, we were doing 85, 90 K a month sometimes. Right. And we'd never hit the six figures, but we were so close hitting 90, you know? And, but the problem was that I had no training. I had no structure. So when somebody would come in, I'd have to retrain that same person over, you know, I'd have to re I'd have to sit there, sit down and train them and try to turn them into somebody for that position. Cause all my other guys were already focused on that position. Mm. All right. Ooh. I apologize. I got a phone call. You're good, man. So all my other guys were already were already, were already um, in that position. So that was something that we thought we needed to do. So that's actually why we just ordered the board that's behind me. If you guys can see it, we just built an office, um, another studio in house in my apartment, um, and I got the apartment for that reason. We're going to be redoing all the training videos for the entire company. So practically, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be breaking down if somebody comes in as a dispositions for my company. They're going to know step-by-step step every single thing they need to know, every single thing they need to be um, educated on, and even through the, throughout the process, how to fill out the contract, how to talk to the buyer, what the walkthrough looks like, when you're actually with the buyer, you know what's going to be happening. So all these different training videos that I had to see when I was in the restaurant industry, when I was in the warehouse industries, now my employees coming in are going to have to watch that, and we're going to be able to track actually if they're watching it plus taking tests and quizzes so that we don't have to retrain everybody because there's no time for that you know i have other businesses now as well and in order for all those other businesses to continue to grow i need to be able to spend time in there and you know in within those businesses you know we have a pet grooming company that's going to be starting um that you know the building is being renovated right now and it's going to be starting in about two weeks we just have to pass the electrical inspection you know, and so we have all these different things that are, you know, rolling in, you know, we started a flipping car business as well, um, where I partnered up with somebody and we're just giving a lot of capital and cars are being flipped every two weeks, you know, so all these different things, I'm trying to automate them. But if my wholesaling business isn't to the point where I want it to be, then it's going to fall apart, you know, over time. Wow. I mean, that's, 
I'm, I, I can tell you that you've learned a lot in a year. It took me a very long time to learn that I need to do videos uh, for my VAs and my employees. So uh, props to you on that. I mean, it's wow. So uh, the next thing I want to talk about here is obviously you're doing, you know, 50 to 60 a month. Everyone knows you're not netting 50 to 60 a month if you get 60,000 in assignment fees. So let's say for $10,000, um, what is the net net that you do after taxes, paying everyone marketing? Um, what is your net uh, profit mar margin, profitability uh, numbers for your wholesaling operation right now? I couldn't give you an exact number, but if I had a guess, it's probably around like 50 to 60%. Wow. Our costs per, are really low in Milwaukee. You know, with the, I still only have, for that half a million, we probably only have, we probably only needed 25,000, maybe 30,000 records to produce that much income. Wow. Traced. So we just, we don't need a ton of data. We don't need a ton of usage with all these different systems. Um, we use really good systems um, and we've been able to test so much that we've been able to get our costs extremely low. Um, and our VAs are very, very productive. They, you know, they get in, they know exactly what they're doing. We've got time doctor. We screenshot every 10 to 15 minutes their screen. You know, we have Excel spreadsheets where they have to fill in exactly how many calls they're doing. And then they get to also compare themselves to every other person on our team to see how they're doing so that we can hold them accountable and so that they can say, Hey, what's going on here? You know, why are you doing less than this person? So it's almost like a competition thing. Wow. Okay. And what is your full operations looking like right now from marketing to dispo? Uh, what is the team looking like? So right now we've got two acquisitions in house. Um, I'm actually going to be hiring a third person. Um, sometimes I'll jump on as well as acquisitions. You know, I like to close things every once in a while too. Actually makes me, I love closing deals, especially when it's already, you know, it's already to the end and I just have a call and I, you know, I get to celebrate in front of the team. Um, uh, so we have two acquisitions. We're hiring a third one now. Um, at one point, we had four acquisitions in our company, but then we decided it was it was too much. It was too much for that time period. You know, for how how we were going and how we were doing, it just wasn't necessary. So we came down, and now we're starting slow, starting to build back up. We got one dispositions, and then we have four VAs. One VA that does only dispo. Her only job is to call buyers every single day. Every. And then we've got um, two VAs that cold call all day. We're adding a third one, um, which we're going to be trying to find in Mexico. And then we have an additional one, and she cold calls half the time. And then 25% is managing everybody, making mm. sure that you know they're doing their tasks, that their responsibilities are met, that they're making the, doing their end-of-the-day reports. And then the other 25% is focused on brand building on social media. So posting um you know any posts or stories and things like that but that's slowly starting to build we're trying to get to that stage um and then i've got one photographer and one uh, videographer that also does that they both do cutting and editing for anything that we're going to start releasing with education and just like you know free content that we're doing wow wow and so that's a great team right there i mean uh for your percentage of deals if i had like a pie chart of your deals what percentage would you say you're getting your deals from drawing for dollars, cold calling, direct mail? Like what, what's the percentage of your deals looking like on the marketing side? 60 to 70%. Oh, I'm sorry. We have a VA um, that drives for dollars as well. So that VA. Um, Virtual? Yes. Virtually? Okay. And I actually got two bucks an hour. Um, but so, which is insanely cheap. How much? Two. 
Jesus. Yeah. So how? Good connections. Wow. Wow. Is this how the Philippines? Yeah. Some of the, I mean, some virtual assistants are, you know, are just their acts, you know, they can't fit in that cold calling role because of their accent and because of how they're talking. They don't necessarily have that many opportunities to find yeah. as other VAs do. So um, we were able to hire one at two. Um, but if they doing the work the way they're doing, I want to get them up to four because they're doing a really good job. We use batch. Um, I forget what it's called, but batch. Um, batch, driven. Yeah. Oh, batch driven. Oh, okay, cool. Very good friends with, uh, with Jesse. So we have a, very good deal here, you know, free for life. Um, but you know, so we, we, we drive for dollars a lot, but about 60 to 70% is driving for dollars. About 10% is fire damages. We try to focus on as many fire damages as we can. A lot of those fire damages do come up because of driving for dollars. Um, when we're doing, especially like if I'm driving through the city or one of my acquisitions guys going through the city, we always have to see, look, look up for fire damages. We see a fire damage, get that address down immediately and then we're always checking the news for fire damages or we check um there's on the city if you just go to google you can check all the um the police reports or the firefighter department reports and you can just check on there if any properties you know were lit on fire um pre-closure vacants make up the other 20 percent um we focus a lot on vacants but that's pretty much what we focus on the most and then we have you know here and there some you know other you know bankruptcy and probate but we're not focused on those necessarily yet okay and on that cold caller that's cold calling cash buyers right what list are you pulling from there so right now um when it first started practically what what, what they do and we have to we're slowly turning it into something i guess better so i'll explain it from the beginning so when they first started i wanted them to hand dial her name is chill so i wanted them to hand dial um every single cash buyer because my goal and my theory was i want to have every single cash buyer <laughs> in this state and then over you know over time we'll move into other states um but i want to have every single cash buyer i don't want to leave any unturned so we would just start well i guess whenever we have a property the priority is you skip trace every single well we usually stick to 150 but you skip trace 150 150 cash buyers the the closest ones there so you know when you go to prop stream and you go to the cash buyers tab and and you're trying to pull a cash cop mm -hmm. you get 150 records it maxes out at 150 records those yes. are 150 most close cash transactions to that property that you're that you're looking at so mm -hmm. we'll take all those and we'll cold call those first priority every time we get a deal because those are the buyers that already have properties in those areas it might not necessarily meet exactly their criteria, but at least meets their zip code. And who knows if they have already gotten some great cash flow from it, they're going to, they might be interested in buying another one. The majority of them are. And since they are already picking up rent in that area, a lot of them can just stop by the other one right away or be able to check on their properties, you know, within a mile radius or within a few blocks of each other. So we'll pull all those first just to, and then we'll call, call all those whenever they're not doing that. We're going by zip codes and then we're pulling as much data as we can. Uh, what we'll do is if we don't want to skip trace, you know, let's say 53209, which mm -hmm. is one of our hottest zip codes here in Milwaukee. Let's say we don't want to pull every, like, let's say there's 20,000 buyers there, which there's not, but let's say there were. We can pull then the entire list from PropStream. We'll up how many records we can pull. 
and then we'll leave them in our properties pat our properties tab in um in prop stream and then from there we'll pick we'll filter out a thousand we'll export them out and then we'll delete them out of that column and then we'll slowly just keep picking you know so if we don't want to skip trace too much because our budget isn't crazy then we'll just start by you know in packs of thousands so the va will go in they'll filter out a thousand and then they'll delete them and then they'll go back in the next time they need another list that same tab that same um tag and then they'll filter you know export a, a thousand and then delete them off that list and slowly go through that list but we're focused mainly on milwaukee when they first started they were putting them into an excel sheet and they were color coding every single one they were hand dialed Ooh. every single one hand dialed because i wanted to see which investors we could not find and on call tools and on mojo you can do that to some degree but not really by record so i wanted to make sure we're getting every single buyer possible now in that's not necessarily the best approach because you don't need every buyer you could you could have you know we found now that five of our buyers are our most common buyers so you don't necessarily need 30 you know every single buyer but we like we want to have every buyer over time is that's one of our goals is just to have as many buyers as possible and making sure that we find them and so they'll go through the entire list and then they'll go back in and they'll call all the yellow ones. The yellow ones are the ones that didn't answer or you know weren't it. And then they'll go back in again and they'll hit all the red ones. The red ones are the ones we couldn't find. And so um, they'll try to find those as well by going on fast people and true people search and trying to skip trace other properties or mailing addresses or property addresses or PO boxes or LLCs. We try to skip trace them every single way possible. Wow. And what's the script your VA is using uh, when they're calling the cash buyers, the cash buyer script I created myself, and I think it's the best script I've ever seen. Um, I've seen you know a lot of cold calling scripts for prospecting, and some of them are okay, some of them are not. But for cash buyers, I couldn't find anything. So I, so what I did was I actually just did them the way I do them. I just called them, and then I recorded the message, the record of the conversation, and I just built a script out of it. And I mean, to be honest, I'd be willing to give it away here if you if you. Sure. What is it? Um, well, I, I can send everybody a copy. Everybody that wants to okay. get emailed over. Um, you know, Sounds good. Email me at Tony at TonyRomero.com. Um, and then just write, just put in the, put in the, um, in the description, you know, send me the, the cash buyer script and we'll get it over to you guys. Perfect. Awesome. And uh, next one here is let's get some questions from the audience here. And we'll get it going. So now let's see here. Uh, what city are you in? You're in Milwaukee. Reinvested in people, CRM and business. Excellent. Uh, let's see here. Big thank you, everybody that's watching. Thank you guys for, <laughs> you guys for investing time in your education. Um, you know, these, these podcasts are important. The real, you know, what really happens and, the, you know, the real mistakes that all right, sweet. And uh, let's see where we went over this. Let's see. Dion wants to know, on average, how many JV are you doing and how much are they netting to you? Um, on average, our JVs are about 5,000. Sometimes we'll get as much as 7K, but usually they stick around five and we'll do about five to six a month. We do a lot of JV. Wow. Nice, nice. I'm not building a brand. That a number up. So if anybody wants a JV, feel free to contact us. Sweet. Uh, Jacob says, love these podcasts. Learn so much. Thank you, Jacob. 
Uh, Alan wants to know, do you do any mailers? No, I actually, so first six months, I uh, did $250,000 um, in my first six months. And all of that was straight cold calling. Nothing else, no text, no RVM, no nothing. We barely implemented texting seven months in, so February, um, end of February. And that was slowly. And now we're barely going to start full on. We're going to take it to the next level. Um, but right now, um, we have not done mailers to this day. Wow. Okay. And next question here is Francisco wants to know if your business is a hundred percent wholesaling. That business is my wholesaling businesses. Um, we do other things, you know, we generate leads for a hard money company, um, another investor an organization and another wholesaler. So we do lead generation. I have other VAs set in place for that. So they get trained the same way my team gets trained. Um, and then we try to fully automate it. So we'll set up a podio system. We'll set up, you know, um, we'll have a VA manage everything. And then their entire job is to cold call all day um, or text or Facebook. Um, so like for hard money, we're going to be implementing um, some of our days that are a little bit more um, that have been with us for a few more weeks than others are going to be um, adding themselves to Facebook groups uh, and trying to get, you know, advocate for getting some more um, investors to, you know, to sign up. So they're going to be talking to a lot of you wholesalers um, in the Midwest area. Um, trying to see if you guys have anybody that can you, you guys can bring or needs funding for hard money. So we do that. Um, I also own a taco truck. So we have that business that we, you know, we just started. We're about to buy a second one. Um, we have a pet grooming business that we're starting. Um, we also mentor. So we do that as well. Um, and then we're going to be doing YouTube. Um, and I'm sure we, do, you know, we car flip as well. So we just have a lot going on. Um, and we're trying to build every single business. Um, an upward spiral. We don't want to go down anymore. Oh yeah. Sweet. Uh, Jacob, uh, what's over here is Tony one year and this is, and this much experience. What's the most valuable thing you learned to succeed at the level you have? Um, I guess not necessarily meditating or anything like that crazy. So I want to get to the point where my energy levels, you know, I, I had the pleasure of being at Carlos Reyes's, all in event and standing next to him and I can just feel his energy. You know, that's somebody that I look up to. Um, and we had, you know, a very long conversation. Uh, we're going to be releasing some videos on that soon on YouTube once we get that started. Um, but I can just feel his energy. And I know he does a lot of meditations and floating and I've started to try to do some of that to try to get myself. But um, I don't read books. I don't watch podcasts, to be honest. I've maybe watched two ever. Um, I don't, I have, $35,000 in courses, but I haven't watched the majority of them. <laughs> like none of the videos. What I like to do is I like to, I like to do it by trial and error. And that might not be the best thing for some of you guys, but every single day at the end of the day, I sit back for five, 10 minutes and I don't write anything, but I just think, what did we do wrong today? What did we do good? And what do we need to fix every single day? There's not a day that I don't, don't do that because we need to be able to adapt on a day-to-day -day basis. And if something is going good, then we feel good about it. And we should I, we celebrate it, you know, or we should continue to do it and making sure that that stays concrete. But we also need to understand how do we, how can we get to the next level? And my thoughts are always, how can we get to the next level? I never stop thinking. Like whenever I'm talking to anybody and I'm in conversations, sometimes I'm not even listening 
uh, it's that same. Sometimes I'm not even listening because I'm already thinking about the future or I am listening to them and I'm also thinking about the future. Like I'm always going over scenario after scenario after scenario. On how do we get, how do we go faster? How do we go bigger? How do we, you know, get to the next level faster, faster, faster. And that's just, just kind of something that I do. So just think bigger and think better. Always think bigger, please guys. Think bigger, think bigger, think bigger. Don't think I want to do 10K. Think I want to do 100K. But obviously, don't say I want to do a million if you haven't done 100K. First, get to that 100K. Try your hardest. Even push yourself to 200K, and then try. And then 100K will be easy for you. It's like when you go. It's like when I go to the store and I want to buy $1,300 shoes, and then I see really nice ones for 400. Obviously, this is now because I have money. But I see some $400 shoes. I'm like, wow, those are cheap. But if I'm looking at it from a different perspective, of dang, I only have, yeah, I only want to buy $150 shoes, and I see $400 shoes. Now, those are really expensive. I really don't want to touch those. So it's just a matter of how you guys are thinking and try to get to that level at a young age, guys. Definitely. It's all about perspective. Uh, Justin says, I'm 17. I've come across many leads, but can't close any. What advice would you have? I mean, this is a good one, I guess. Find somebody that's reputable in your in your, in your area and just JV with them. Like say, hey, look, I've got the, you know, call a lot of times we want to do everything by ourselves, but that's why I get a lot of JVs because I've been able to show to people, hey, you don't have to do it all by yourself. You can sometimes a piece of the pie. It's like me reinvesting in some employees and understanding that I have to put money into them so that I can make more money. Put some money into somebody, bring them a lead and say, hey, look, I need help closing this. You're losing out on so many, so much money by not getting that help. So if you know somebody in your area, go on Facebook. Facebook is so powerful so powerful join every single wholesale group every single real estate group in your city in your area and start talking to people and start networking you don't have to give them the lead right away first talk to people and see what kind of person they are meet them for lunch see who will give you their time see who actually knows who has experience you know vet some people out and then start the conversation of hey you know i've got some leads what can we do with these you know i'd love to see if we can maybe partner up on these you can give me 50 percent or 30 percent, something like that um, just to help me close them, get me across the table. But also in the process, can you teach me how you're finding these buyers or how you're getting that contract signed? You know, can I get a copy of the contract? Because you're giving them value so that you can receive some value as well. That's one thing I would do. Because other than that, I'd say hire a mentor for a lot of money. But if you don't have a lot of money, do it this way and then it doesn't cost you anything. Awesome. This is great advice. Um, Brandon says, beast. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Manuel wants to know, how do you drive for dollars virtually? I think you explained it a little, but. Yeah, so we use batch driven. Uh, if anybody needs a code, and unless uh, um, you already have a code, then make sure you give them yours. Um, but uh, feel free to reach out. Um, but we use batch driven. So, um, you know, batch is obviously a great resource. I've never used any skip tracing besides batch. Um, so when practically when you go on they're integrated with google earth google maps and it's the same thing as like driving on google where you're driving virtually but instead of having to like jot down the address you could just click on each property there's a little um like a little sign over it and you just click on it and say add property and it'll just add it to your to your list and then you can just export it out as a csv so that's one way to do it but if you have the time go out and, if, if you're gonna do it yourself don't don't in my opinion don't virtually do it go drive for dollars yourself because when you're driving for dollars yourself and it's something that i was doing in the beginning a lot go out do 100 properties or do 50 prop do 50 properties every single day in the morning 
go out and do 50 properties, same area, go back to your office, cold call all of them, do the same thing the next day with the next leads. Because what you're seeing is you're going to, once you're getting in conversation with those people, you're going to remember the area and you're going to understand the value of that area because you just drove it that same day. So whenever you're going out, whenever you have a list from PropStream, what's, what's happening is that you get all of a sudden a lead over here in the best area of town, and then you get a lead that answers the phone on the worst part of town, and then you get a lead over where the mansions are, et cetera. So it kind of throws you off guard sometimes um, where you're talking about so many different things and you have to research so many different numbers. But when you're focused on one area, there's a huge similarity and the comps are similar. The buyers are similar. Um, so you're just you're, you're able to understand the zip codes a lot better. And that's how I was able to get to the point where if somebody sends me a lead right now, sometimes I don't even ask for the address. I say, what's the zip code and how much do they want? And I can tell them if we can JV it or not right off the bat because we already know what our buyers are looking for and how much they're paying in certain areas. Awesome. Uh, speaking of that, here another question. Uh, how do you find a title company? Title companies, the best way to find a title company is not Google, not reviews. I would go on Facebook. I would add yourself to every single list. Every, I'm sorry, every single um, group as well in your city and just literally type in the question or... Sometimes people don't when questions that are like this are being asked multiple times in groups. Just literally go into those groups, search type company. I'm sure there's tons of people who have already asked that question and just see the comparisons. Who is vouching for certain title companies more and more and more? And are they an investor or a wholesaler? And then you could always reach out to that person. Just add them as a friend. You know, don't be afraid. Talk to them and say, hey, I saw your comment on this post about this title company. Why do you think they're so good if you don't mind me asking? You know, just politely. And I'm sure they'll explain and you'll be able to find the best one that way. Boom. Awesome. So uh, let's see whatever their uh, specific questions. Let's see. Uh, Gina wants to know, would you ever see yourself getting in the residential side of the business and how can your wholesaling skills help you? Up, Gino. Um, yes. Um, so residential is what we're trying to buy as much of right now. It's one of the biggest things we want to do. I actually just joined um, Nate Berger's um, BRR Academy. So I'm trying to buy as many as I can and then just burn them. Um, I also, one of my clients is the biggest hard money lender in Wisconsin. We're great, great, great friends now because of the amount of work we've been able to do with them. So you hard money to buy a lot of these properties and burn out of them or flip them is one thing that we want to do or even partner with him to just keep them. So, um, yes, very, very, as many as we can. Um, all our goal this year is probably to buy five by the end of the year, but then next year we want to pick it up and just like go crazy. I want to have like 300 properties in, in the next five years. Like that's how much I want to do. So yes. I'm loving it, man. Uh, I'm motivated. Jacoby says straight motivation. Pinto says, appreciate the free information. This is amazing, guys. This is an amazing podcast. Uh, good looking. Appreciate it. Uh, Zio Smooth. Uh, so last couple of questions for me here for you is, uh, number one here is, what was the biggest mistake you had starting out this entire year? What was your biggest mistake? Ooh. One big mistake is not keeping track my expenses <laughs> and i say that very very seriously because uncle sam will get you that's for part oh one. yeah and 
we're all going <clears throat> most wholesalers that start out this is your first business some of you guys don't even treat this as a business some of you guys treat this as a hobby because you don't see it as a business because you start out by yourself you don't necessarily you can start at your house on a computer you start anywhere so think about this this your company think about it as a business when a buyer is talking to you think about it like a business you are the ceo you're not just some random guy that's bringing him a deal you run a business so make sure you have that mentality that you're running a business but also keep track of all your expenses on one place try to educate yourself a little bit on taxes because i think that's important most of the people that i talk to in wholesaling know absolutely nothing about taxes and you're making all this money and at the end a lot of it's going straight to the you know to 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 places where to to the government pretty much and it's not bad right we have to pay taxes and we have to have these costs but you could have used a lot of that money to continue growing your business you're paying yourselves out immediately and you're getting taxed and then you're not using it as a write off when you can start investing in your business start growing and then you know look at bigger paychecks later on um that's one thing and then the other big thing is don't compare yourselves to other people doing things, right? I'm doing really big, but it took a lot of work. Yes, if you want to be in my position, get to my position and, you know, and ask me questions or, you know, put in a lot of work and build a team. But don't necessarily think that if you're not doing 500K, that you are a failure. You're not. If you're doing $30,000 or more, which is, to me, it's nothing. To me, $30,000 is nothing now. But if you're doing $30,000 or more a year, you are on a very, very great track. So don't compare yourselves to other people because that will put you guys down. Just you guys are you. And just make sure that you, you guys aren't doing this to impress anybody else. You're doing it to change your future, to change your lives. Boom. That's it, man. That's awesome. Uh, last question is this is the Back Searches podcast. So I started out 100 hundred bucks, basically, hundred couple hundred bucks in my bank account. Started out as a bag boy start out my wholesaling operation, made hundred K at the end of high school. Uh, so if you started out, let's say you're back at 18 years old, what would you do with, Oh, looks like he popped off. Well, Tony, I appreciate you coming on. It means a lot. I uh, guess he had to go, but uh, no big deal. Uh, check him out. Tony Romero. I know he's got a YouTube channel, so uh, he's going to create one. So Tony Romero on YouTube, go check him out. I appreciate it. I learned a lot on this podcast. So thank you guys so much. Make sure you smash that like button and subscribe. Thank you so much, guys. Have a blessed day.